Hey, I'm Austin, and welcome to the Valley Point Podcast. This week kicks off our brand new series, Outlaw. Join Valley Point Church as we look to biblical imagery that presents Jesus as a radical who changed the religious machinery of his day. Through his life, ours can be changed. This is Outlaw. What do you like, my hat? I feel very powerful in this hat, like I could just walk through walls or something like that. But I got to tell you, I don't know why people wear these things, because it's just really, really big, and it's itchy on my head, and of course, it has the word cowboy in it, and I think we all know how we feel about that word, right? (laughs) So perhaps, before you get too excited, this is a better fit for a hat. (laughs) Go Eagles! So no matter what kind of hat you want to wear, I want to welcome you to Outlaw, and we begin this brand new series today. And normally, when you hear the word outlaw, the idea comes to mind of a lawbreaker, or a troublemaker, or somebody who is a bad guy. But for the sake of this series and our conversation over the next five weeks, I want to define outlaw a little differently. I want to think about outlaw as somebody who just doesn't fit into any kind of box, somebody who cannot be defined. I want to think about outlaw as an individual who is willing to challenge the status quo. I want to think about outlaw as a nonconformist. And so outlaw, not necessarily a troublemaker, but a non-conformist. It's interesting because when Jesus came to town several years ago, there was a religious establishment in place that was very oppressive for the people. And their whole agenda was to promote their own political careers. And they did that by hiding behind religion. And so here's how they would oppress people. Here's what they would say and do. They would come out to the people and say, Do these things, and God will be very happy with you. And then they would create a list of things that people should do that could not be done. And so the people were frustrated and felt very oppressed by the list. But do these things, and God will be happy with you. Or say these things, and God will like you if you say these things. Say the right things, or give these things. And the religious leaders were large and in charge, and that's just the way that it was. Do these things, say these things, give these things, and the people felt very oppressed. And then Jesus arrived, and he had a completely different agenda because he didn't care about those rules at all. And so when Jesus taught, People were amazed at the things that he had to say. Scripture tells us that people were interested and they wanted more and more of that and they felt challenged and convicted. They liked it even though it was hard truth. People were amazed at the things that Jesus said. Jesus helped. Nobody else was helping people. The religious establishment was oppressing, but yet Jesus came to offer 
a helping hand to individuals. And Jesus healed. Something else that nobody was doing. See, Jesus wasn't conventional, and this normally led to some dust-ups between the religious establishment and Jesus the outlaw, Jesus the nonconformist. In one particular instance, Jesus was ministering to what became a very large crowd. And again, they were very interested in what he was saying and what he was doing. And they were fascinated. And so people came and they listened. And he was able to draw a very large crowd. And in the process of that day, he began to heal people. Those who were lame came to Jesus and he touched them and he healed them. And those who weren't able to walk were able to walk again. And people were amazed and shocked. And those that were blind, Jesus touched and he healed. And those individuals who never had been able to see anything in their entire lives were now able to see. And people were shocked at what was happening. Scripture says something interesting in that moment, that Jesus was moved with compassion for the crowd that was in front of him. He was certainly concerned about their spiritual well-being. And he knew that he could provide hope and answers for the questions that they had deep on the inside. But even beyond the spiritual needs, Jesus had compassion on people and their physical needs. And that's why he healed individuals. And he realized, we've been here for a long time. And this crowd has grown into the thousands. And they need something to eat. They're hungry. And so Jesus gathered together his little ministry team and he said, here's the deal. Here's the instructions. I want you to go out and you've got to find some food because we've got this great crowd in front of us and we have to help them with this. And so the ministry team began to wander through the crowd and they looked for food and they brought back to Jesus seven loaves of bread and four fish, a little sack lunch. What are you going to do with that, Jesus? Well, Scripture tells us that Jesus blessed that and performed yet another miracle in that moment, and he fed the entire crowd, and there was even food left over. And again, the people were shocked at what was happening. And the editorial comment of that day is found in Matthew chapter 15, verse 31. The crowd was amazed, and they praised the God of Israel. The crowd was amazed. And the result of that amazement and that shock and awe is that they began to praise the God of Israel. So that probably sounded something like this. Go, Jesus. You're the man. You are incredible. You are wonderful. Keep running that no-huddle offense because you are quick and powerful and fast. And you are just an amazing individual. Go, Jesus. And one would think that with all of the hoopla that's happening in that moment, the people that are being healed and the miracles that are taking place, that everybody would be in on this go Jesus moment. But that's not the case. The religious group, not happy. And so the machine went to work and the lawyers and the debaters moved in from the edge of the crowd and they began to seek ways to criticize and demoralize the message of this Messiah and how he was swaying thousands of people to follow him and away from fear and subservience to the religious machine. 
So seeking to create a public issue for Jesus, this religious group came to him and said, look, we want you to give us another sign from heaven that you are who you say you are. We want another miracle. We want another sign. And this had to be a bit confusing for Jesus because he had just given them all kinds of signs. Like, look, this guy couldn't walk before and now he can walk. That is a sign. And this individual over here, before they couldn't see anything at all. And now they can see, here's your sign. And I just fed all kinds of people, there's your sign. But yet they still wanted something else. And so Jesus gives them what they ask for. Here's our big idea for today. And that is following the outlaw is a great choice. Okay? Following Jesus, the nonconformist, following this outlaw, this individual who cannot be boxed in and defined, following him is a great choice. And in Matthew chapter 16, our paragraph for today, we find Jesus engaged in this conversation with the religious machine. So here's verse 1. One day the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these are the religious individuals, They came to test Jesus, demanding that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. And so Jesus replied, well, you know the saying, red sky at night means fair weather tomorrow. Red sky in the morning means foul weather all day. You know how to interpret the weather signs in the sky, but you don't know how to interpret the signs of the times. Jesus basically looks at them and says, you guys know how to read the weather. Like you look in the sky and you can see color formations and things like that and you know what weather will be happening today and tomorrow based on what you see. You're able to read the weather, but you are not able to read the signs that validate my authenticity as the one who was sent from God. You just don't even get it. And then Jesus creates quite a dust-up in verse 4 with this incendiary remark. Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Then Jesus left them and went away. It's kind of an amazing, bold statement here that Jesus gives where he looks at the religious machine, the ones who were oppressing the people, and he says to them, only evil, adulterous people demand a sign, like you. So I'm going to go ahead and give it to you. It's the sign of Jonah. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. And then Jesus walked away and he left them. I mean, that's all he said. And so what's happening here? What is the sign of Jonah? Well, Jonah was an Old Testament prophet, and he was an individual who thought he could disobey and run away from God, and so God arranged a big fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah remained inside of the fish for three days. After three days, he was vomited onto dry ground, and then he conveniently decided to obey God. Like, I better do what he says now because I don't want that again. Well, Jonah's this picture of three days in the whale, and then he came out. It was a picture 
of the resurrection of an individual who would come to save people. And this is what Jesus came to do. And so Jesus was basically saying, I am the sign of Jonah. I am the fulfillment of that. And at some point, I'm going to be killed. I will remain dead for three days and then I will come back. I will live again, paying the price for the sins of people. I'm the sign of Jonah. Well, they didn't like that at all because it was a very strong, bold statement that Jesus was the Messiah and they didn't want to hear anything about that. And so I think Jesus realized that they were a little upset with them and so he leaves. Good call, right? Verse 5. Later, after they crossed to the other side of the lake, the disciples discovered they had forgotten to bring any bread. Which is really kind of funny to me because they had just fed a bunch of people and they had a lot of food left over and they forgot to bring any. And you can almost hear the conversation Jesus is thinking in his mind. Like, do I have to do another miracle here? Can you guys not grab anything at all? So they forget all about the bread. And Jesus uses that as a way to say in verse 6, watch out, Jesus warned them. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In other words, watch out for the poison of the machine. They're deadly and all of these lists and what they want you to do, say, and give is very, very dangerous. So watch out for the poison of the machine. And then we get to meet the outlaw now. Verse 13. When Jesus had come to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, his ministry team, a very interesting question. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And in the context of this ongoing conversation that Jesus has with the religious leaders and then carries on with his ministry team, he basically asks, what are people saying about me? Not that he needed to hear what they were saying, but he wanted to use that again as an opportunity to talk about how he was the one. And so those close followers begin to think about what people are saying, and then they respond to Jesus, and they say, well, Jesus, some people think that you are John the Baptist. That's what they're saying out there. The word on the street, you're John the Baptist. Well, John the Baptist was an unkept, unruly, revolutionary kind of person who lived out in the wilderness. He hid in caves. He didn't cut his hair. He never shaved his beard. He dressed himself in camel's hair, which is basically like a burlap bag he wrapped himself in. And he ate locusts. And he began to preach in the wilderness to whoever would come out and hear him. And his message was a bold one, that you need to change and you need to repent. And if you don't, God's going to do something about that. The scripture tells us that many people came out to hear John the Baptist. I think they wanted to see his crazy beard and what he was wearing and what he was eating. But in the middle of that, he actually spoke and he said some hard things. Here's what we know about John the Baptist. He was truly a nonconformist. He could not be defined. He could not be boxed in. And he was willing to challenge the status quo. He was truly a nonconformist. So they continue this conversation, and somebody else said, well, Jesus, they're also saying that you are Elijah. 
Elijah was an Old Testament prophet that was willing to challenge the royal family of that day and tell them, you're doing it all wrong and you are disobeying God and God's not happy with that and eventually he will come in and remove your kingdom. So that didn't go over well. So Elijah began to run and hide for himself. And one of the things we know about Elijah is that God used him to kill 400 false prophets of God in one day by himself. We also know this about Elijah. He outran a horse for 36 straight miles. That's kind of freaky. When you think about it, I and mean, that's really, really fast. He's really, really moving. And that's Elijah. You cannot define him. You cannot box him in. Elijah is a nonconformist. So somebody else spoke up and they said, Jesus, some people think that you're Jeremiah, another Old Testament prophet who served six different kings of Israel. And he would walk in and basically say, look, You must confess your sin and lead the people, lead God's people this way. And you're not doing that. You're doing an awful job. And if you don't change your ways, if you don't confess and help the people get right with God, then God will remove you from the throne. And of course, that didn't go over well either. And so they threw Jeremiah in jail. They threw him in mud pits. And eventually, Jeremiah dies in exile in Egypt. Question. Why this group? Why are these the ones that are mentioned when Jesus asks, what are people saying about me? That they come up with John the Baptist and Elijah and Jeremiah. What was it that helped their memory connect those individuals to what Jesus was saying and accomplishing? So I wrote down a few things on a list. They were... And Jesus was revolutionary, countercultural, outspoken against religion, focused on the far from God crowd. They were very bold. And that's what people were saying Jesus was like. You are like John the Baptist, a nonconformist. You are like Elijah and Jeremiah, individuals who cannot be defined. They are untamed. They are revolutionaries. That's what Jesus is like. It's kind of different than the picture we have of Jesus with long, flowing, beautiful hair, sitting down with a child on his lap and a lamb at his feet. That's what we think. Jesus with conditioned, flowing, Fabio-styled hair just having a great time and being soft and gentle. And that's not really what we discover here. He was a bold, revolutionary individual. He was an outlaw. He was a nonconformist. And then Jesus does something great. In verse 15, he says this. He asked them, the ministry team, the close followers, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. They got it. They got it. They got the fact that Jesus was the promised one. He was the Christ. He was the Messiah. And he didn't come in this safe little package 
He came as an outlaw. He came as a counterculture individual who was a nonconformist. Now, I don't know what your thoughts are of Jesus. And we all come into this room in a different place and in a different spot on our spiritual journey. Some have been on it for a long time. Some of you have just started a journey and a real relationship with Jesus. And some of you are investigating that and you're wondering if Jesus is who he claims to be. So I don't know what your thoughts are about Jesus, but at some point, everybody in this room will have to answer the question, who is Jesus? And the basic truth is that Jesus is a bold leader who is not content to hang out on the fringes of our lives. He wants to change and transform us from top to bottom, from tip to tail. That's what he wants. But we must choose that. Well, Jesus wraps up this whole conversation in verse 24. And I would encourage you to lean in and listen to this. So if you've checked out, if you've been asleep, wake up. Because I want these words to kind of fall into your mind right now. Jesus said to his disciples... If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. A really remarkable phrase. If you want to follow Jesus, if you want to be his disciple, if you want to follow after him, then here's what it takes. Turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and then follow. And if you try to hang on to your life, guess what? You will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Just one takeaway for today. And that is my life works best when there is only one leader and it's not me. That's just the truth. My life works best when there is only one leader, and it's not me. So the question for all of us is, who's leading you? Who's leading you? Can you honestly say that that is Jesus, the outlaw, and you've taken up your cross, and you're following after him, and you're denying yourself, or... Is the leader in your life you and you're following you? Who's leading your life? A few months ago, I got a great email from somebody who was wrestling with this very issue. And I want to read a portion of this note to you because it's fascinating and they're kind of getting the fact that I can only have one leader and it shouldn't be me. So Eric, I have some exciting news to share. I can say I finally see the light at the end of the tunnel. I finally got a full-time job that I was seeking. I decided at the beginning of this year to really turn my life over to the Lord. I prayed for patience and strength, but it's been in the last few months that I really got serious about my control issues. It's been in the last few months that every time worry, anxiety, doubt, and fear reared its ugly head inside my brain and tried to weave itself around my heart. I just prayed for the Lord to simply take it away, just take it off my mind and pull it out of my heart and replace all those feelings with patience, hope, and peace. 
I offered my life up to the Lord for him to take control. And when I finally learned that lesson after decades of fighting, I finally got this job. Good news doesn't stop there either. During my waiting period, I decided to write a novel. I've always wanted to be a writer too. Well, my novel is now in the hands of a published author who does freelance editing for self-published authors. All I had to do was get out of the dang driver's seat and believe in what the Lord saw inside me and stop fighting it. And I love notes like that where people are getting and then starting to communicate, there really can only be one leader in my life. And it works a whole lot better if that is not me and it's Jesus, the outlaw. If you've never made that choice, to embrace the leadership and the forgiveness that Jesus offers, then today would be a great day for you to follow the outlaw and begin to arrange your life around his values and his ideas. Maybe that is something that you've done in the past, but yet you know you are in the driver's seat and Jesus is back there somewhere and he's no longer leading you. Well, it's time to rearrange the seats. And today would be a great day to do that. And here's why. Following the outlaw is a great choice. Following Jesus, the nonconformist, is a great choice. Father, we're so thankful for some time today to look at this amazing conversation that Jesus has with religious people and non-religious people and those who are following him and those who are interested in him and trying to figure him out. And he just talks about how he is the one who can bring hope. I think sometimes our image of Jesus is something other than what you really intended. And the thoughts we have of you coming out of this great chapter is you are a bold leader and you're not content to just hang out in the shadows of our lives and in the corners. You want to be in control. You want to transform and change our thinking and our minds. God, I pray that you'd help us to be willing to do that right now. I'd ask you just to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed for a moment. Maybe you're here and you're understanding for the very first time that there is a leader who desires to have control over you and bring hope and encouragement and freedom into your life. And you've never really understood that before, but today you're getting it. And that's this Jesus character and this outlaw, this nonconformist, and you want him in your life. Then I would just encourage you from your heart to God's ears, say this to him, dear God, I need you in my life. And I understand that Jesus came and he lived and he died on my behalf to pay the price for my sins. And he rose again, proving that he really was who he said. And so I now trust in his work alone. And just ask him to be your leader. Ask him to forgive you. The wonderful promise we find in Scripture is that when we offer up that cry to God, no matter who we are, where we've been, what we've done, God hears and He will answer that request. Just invite Him in to be your leader.
Maybe that's something that you have done in the past. Had some things have happened in your life. There's been some challenges or a relationship has just gotten a little old and you now find yourself in the driver's seat of life. And you know, Jesus is back there and you like that thought. It's kind of like the icon on the shelf. He's safe. Makes you feel good about yourself. But the reality is Jesus does not want to be just a safe little icon. He wants to transform us. He wants to change us, and he wants to lead. And so maybe right now you just need to do a little rearranging of the seats and invite Jesus to come back up and drive you and lead you, truly lead and give up control to him. And maybe you just need to communicate that to him right now, whether you're an adult or a student or a parent or a grandparent or a single individual, whoever you are, just invite Jesus to take that lead spot if you've kicked him out. And he'll do that for you. He's ready. He wants that. So God, we come to you now and we say thank you. Thank you for the gift of Jesus, the outlaw came and paid the price for us. And God, I pray that you just help us to wrestle with whatever decision we need to make, whether that's trusting in you alone for the first time or just rearranging the seats again to make sure that you're driving and you're leading. God, help us to be obedient to whatever it is that you want for us as we walk out of here in a bit, as we go on with our day, this week, and the plans that we have. God, we're going to quickly forget about this moment. Other stuff's going to come in, other priorities, other responsibilities, and quickly crowd out what we're thinking about right now. So God, help us to claim this as something sacred and something special and something important. God, help us to do more than fill a chair and just listen. Help us to truly respond and act on what you want for us, knowing that that will change our lives and help us to truly live the way you want. And God, this is what we need today. This is what Valley Point Church desperately needs. People following hard after you, placing you where you belong. And God, you will use us in incredible ways to be a bright light in this community and around the world. God, so use us. Help us to think and then act. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for listening. We'd also like to invite you to join us for any of our Sunday gatherings as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 and 11 a.m.